Hello and welcome to the Crack Beer Community Podcast. I'm your host Brian, and this episode of Beer Destination sees me visit the vibrant city of Limerick. Limerick has been quietly building up a strong independent beer presence, with the likes of Treaty City Brewery flying the flag since 2014, and Crew Brewing having just celebrated their second birthday. Add to that the long-time support that Mother Max Pub has been providing in serving a wide range of Irish craft beers, and you have the foundation of a strong independent beer scene. My first stop in Limerick brought me straight to the heart of the medieval quarter. Located on Nicholas Street, directly opposite St. John's Castle, is the Treaty City Brewery Taproom. While the main Treaty City production facility is located slightly outside the city, the taproom boasts a fully operational brewery, allowing Treaty City to brew small batch and sometimes experimental beers, and serve them directly to customers. They also offer a highly engaging and entertaining brewery tour, which covers the brewing process, the history of brewing in Limerick, the story behind Treaty City, and of course, is complemented with some of their delicious beers for tasting. The building itself is quite simply stunning. Dating back to the 1700s, the majority of its original features have either been restored or maintained, with the likes of the walls being stripped right back and original fireplaces on display. In contrast, the brewing kit has all modern engineering and shiny stainless steel tanks and stands proud within a double height space within the building. Describing beautiful architecture is absolutely not in my wheelhouse, so I'm going to stay in my own lane and leave it there. I sit down with owner Steve Kaneen to hear all about the story of Treaty City Brewery. I start by asking him to tell me a little bit about the brewery and how they got started. Yeah, uh, so Treaty City Brewery, we're based here in the medieval quarter in Limerick City. Um, We're a small batch artisan producer. Um, we have two kits and two breweries. Uh, our large brewery is up on Childers Road, about a mile from where we're, as the crow flies anyway, from where we're sitting. Um, and that's a three, roughly 30 heck, um, uh, 3,000 litres per brew, um, 15,000 litres per month, kind of maybe 20, depending on the beers we're brewing, kind of capacity constraint. Um, and then the brewery in here is um, uh, 400 litres per batch, roughly. Um, and about two to two and a half thousand liters per month, uh, if we have all the tanks full and Kev does what he's supposed to be doing <laughs> and meets the schedules. But yeah, uh, we produce a number of different beers. I suppose in in pre-pandemic we would have talked through uh, you know what's in draft, what's in cans, you know what's in bottles. Um, I I kind of steer away from those questions now because I suppose it's it's like putting your hand back into the fire. We didn't know for two and a half years whether we were in draft cans, bottles, what we were doing. You know, Tony Hulan opened his book on a Friday evening, and if we, <laughs> it, it allows us to get a point or not, you know, not going to So, but uh, yeah, and we produce a number of different dales and lagers, some very, very experimental stuff, um, and some core beers, uh, really, really good, solid, easy drinking beers is our kind of ethos. Um, but yeah, so Treaty City Brewery, we're open since 2014. Um, late November 2014 and um, yeah we've been going from strength to strength now yeah 2014 so you're going quite a while actually really Uh, yeah I would say you know I'm discounting three years or two and a half years of that now we all know what happened right but um, uh, we were quite a traditional brewery and I I don't know if that's the right word traditional brewery we had four beers in our core range 2019 um, Harris Pale Ale Shannon River IPA, Tom and Red Ale, and uh, Hell's Gate Lager, um, predominantly in 500ml bottles, 
and um, about 65 to 70% of what we produced was draft and was Harris, which is our core pale ale, a very, very Pacific Northwest style pale ale, um, all Cascade hops, a bit of Munich in there just to kind of add a bit of sweetness and caramel notes into the backbone, but very, very drinkable, approachable beer. Um, and then we came out we came out the other side of the pandemic so that was you know where that was right um that was pre-pandemic and then we came out the other side of the pandemic we've produced i think for like okay so at the beginning of this year it was 45 commercial beers in two years we have gone into 440 mil cans we have changed our draft profile um an awful lot it's changed now harris is definitely still our biggest seller but um We've moved into different rotational lagers, different rotational IPAs, um, into that New England style. We've kind of caught the tail end of that, which just seems to be super popular at the moment. Um, but yeah, sorry. So that's that's who Treaty is anyway. And then I suppose, like, how did you get going or what was the uh, the inspiration or the spark behind yeah. that, that started you off? Um, so I'm, I'm a manufacturing engineer by trade um, and I... I was always making things with my hands. I was always, uh, my people are farmers and uh, are, are market gardeners. And I was always, you know, like growing tomatoes. I was always making sausages, making cheese. I was always going that kind of stuff. And I was living in Vancouver um, in 2000, I think in 2006, 2007, we moved over. Uh, sorry, 2000, yeah, 2006, we moved over. And about 2008, 2009, I was kind of getting sick as a, uh, sick of doing my engineering. I'm a manufacturing engineer by trade, so I trained in LIT and went from there to UL, um, and kind of high-end med- medical device, pharmaceutical stuff. That was my background. Um, so I was always producing stuff because of kind of my 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 family and who we were, you know, and, and my father's ethos and stuff. So um, yeah, the transition from the kind of producing food for myself or you know sausages cheese or whatever it is into producing beer for myself and um, that happened in vancouver in canada i was a home brewer for a number of years and then uh, when i came home i kind of i just always wanted to, to do my own thing i always wanted to have my own company and i always i also i also wanted to be able to produce something that uh, you know when you're in a manufacturing environment or a medical device or in pharmaceuticals you don't get the cd end result and it's very important uh, for me to be able to put a point in front of someone and to see, okay, I know all the love and hardship and tears and sweat that went into that point, um, to be able to put that in front of someone and see the reaction and kind of get that kind of that feedback, if you will. So it's great to be able to see the full loop of it. Yeah. So that's why I wanted to start a brewery because it's such a fantastic industry to be in. It's kind of like this really, I don't know, very intoxicating for want of a better word. Uh, uh, <laughs> it's 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 you know it's a mix between science and art. It really is. And when the science is done very, very well, um, it allows the art to kind of flourish. And you can have that experimental and that kind of um, creativity can flourish in your beers. Um, and I just, I, I loved it. You know what I mean? There was the space for me to expand my creativity, I suppose. That's the best way of putting it. Sorry, that's a very sprawling answer there now on their own. Um, no, no, absolutely. I, you put it in a fantastic way as well because I spent many a, a time, many an hour wondering why am I so obsessed with this? This, yeah. this? Ultimately, this product at the end of the day, but it is, it's that perfect blend of scientific side if you're going to the brewing side and then that art being able to, to showcase the creativity of the brewer and yeah. everything. So, and it's, it's just, it is fantastic. And you, can, and you can, so like even see when, we, when we're doing our rotational beers downstairs and stuff like that, you can really go, you can push the boundary. Uh, you can really go out, out there, you know. Uh, we had a, a product during the pandemic, we call it a beerini. And uh, 
we were having we were having a, a it actually came about because our graphic designer we were having a kind of a, a, an ops meeting upstairs uh, and Alana was sitting there and Gustavo the master brewer said well you know we're going to have a couple of beers after the meeting do you know what what can I get you and Alana said I don't drink beer and um First off, Gustavo kind of said, well, how did you, why, why are you working for a brewery here? <laughs> how did you get through the interview process, right? Um, what's going on? Um, and then what kind of developed from that was a conversation between himself and Alana. I said, okay, well, if you don't drink beer, what do you drink? And um, she said, well, I currently, it was all this home kind of lockdown stuff where people were making their own cocktails and stuff. And she was drinking um, Parmesan martinis and uh, peach bellinis, right? And... Gustavo said, okay, so peach bellini, so what is in a peach bellini? Explain it to me. And uh, you, he, uh, peach bellini is, I don't know, peach snaps, and it's a, a, a Prosecco, some kind of a bubbly. And he said, okay, you know what? We could make a beer that will complement and can substitute for the, the, the Prosecco. So we made this beerini, and uh, it was supposed, supposedly the, I don't know, the mixer for the cocktail, right? But that's the kind of creativity where you, you know, something that doesn't exist, it didn't exist pre that conversation um, to get to taking it to the nth degree where you are shipping 10 or 15 or 20 or 100 cases of those that beer out the door you know from a conversation all the way through to a physical product that people are enjoying in their home in the evenings that's it's 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 a very you know intoxicating kind of industry you know oh, absolutely yeah it's amazing and you touched on before that in, in your previous life we'll say you never got to see that end result and that end product but having the tap room here we're, we're sitting upstairs at the moment but yeah. having the tap room downstairs being able to serve the pint to the customer get that instant feedback and reaction from them it must be invaluable it is invaluable um i'll tell you so pre-pandemic we were um the large batch manufacturing facility we opened here in nicholas street we we're about 200 or 20 yards from the front of king john's castle which is a, a 12th century uh, couple limerick limestone castle right and uh, this is really in the the old school part of the town. It's the medieval quarter, um, and we opened up here. I think we opened in May, but we weren't. We were open inverted commas, but we weren't open. Um, we were limping along, I'd say, and in kind of September October time frame, we started to come into our own. Um, as my wife says, who else would open a second brewery? One, and then two. Uh, a, a brewery who would open a second brewery three months before a global pandemic, right? Which shut the whole industry down for two years, pretty much, right? Um, so we didn't really get to see that feedback loop that you have with a tap room or a, I don't know, front of house experiment. And, uh, you know, people can taste and come in and do tours and, you know, do flights and stuff. So we didn't get that feedback loop. Um, and I didn't see the benefit of that feed feedback loop until, I suppose, you can still say, uh, February, March 2022, we were still in some kind of a lockdown. You know, July, June, July, and August 2022, this this year, we were act. It was fantastic. We were seeing people coming in, drinking one type of lager, drinking one type of pale ale, not liking the stronger beers, liking the stronger beers, wanting something happy, not wanting something happy, and it really gets you to hone your target demographic, and you like there's nothing like you know it's ex it's expensive to drink a pint in Ireland you know what I mean it's not it's not the cheapest I'll put it that with you so you're talking you know 550 through 650 that kind of bracket right and if if you put that kind of money on the table the expectation is it's top quality and it you know it's what I the, it has to be what I'm expecting or the description has to match or the beer has to be balanced and this kind of stuff and you get an instant feedback so people will hear and especially in Limerick they will hand the pint back you know and go hey <laughs> that's not what I want or that's not what I want thought it was going to be you know but um, it, it, it's been invaluable and we kind of embarked in around the May time frame we kind of embarked in uh, 
a, a range of experimental. So we'd say in can, in package, we had been doing uh, as, a, as a kind of overarching idea. So we had done 36 commercial beers in 18 months. Very experimental stuff like we spoke earlier about. Um, so cucumber saisons, we had a watermelon wheat beer, uh, a lot of experimental beers, a number of different styles. Um, and even the ones that we invented, the Biarini, right? That kind of stuff, right? Um, but when we got to front of house and we were trying to say, okay, how can we experiment while still staying within a certain bracket? Um, oh, here's Kev landing on now with, what, what are we having here, Kev? We start off strong with some Harris Pale Ale. Lovely. Nice. Okay. Yeah. Cheers, Kev. Stuff. <laughs> so this beer is uh, about 65%, maybe 70% of what we produce. Um, and it's, a, again, a clean, easy-drinking Pacific Northwest-style pale ale. Uh, I love this beer. It's a great beer, but obviously um, that's a sell, right? <laughs> so have your drink. I, yeah, I was slauncher to your head. Um, oh, it's never too early to have a drink, right? It's in a, um, so um, um, an example of how we experiment with the front of house downstairs is we have a rotational lager. So the lager will always sit between 3.8% and 44 4.3%. Okay? Um, we embarked in May, I think, or June. We started with a Japanese lager. We switched it up to a Korean lager. We went into a Czech-style lager, a German-style lager. We have a Mexican-style lager was on. We had a hazy lagers on currently. We'll be tasting in a minute. Um, so a number of different experiments experimental beers but all within the parameter of an easy drinking approachable beer 3.6 or 3.8 up to 4.2 so that you know Joe Soap on the street who doesn't know much about craft beer if if, if, if that guy and I, I think it's an, an issue with the industry right if if, if Steve who, who knows nothing about beer and he's sitting in and I'm, I'm there on a Saturday night and I'm trying to impress my significant daughter or something I say oh craft beer I'll have a, I'll have a yeah, and the, the waiter goes I, you know what I have a double IPA right uh, uh, or at strong New England at 8% it's going to be fantastic it's going to be that's a Lamborghini of a beer right that's 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 giving a guy a full throttle beer whereas the lager the idea was you could come in you could experiment in an approachable easy drinking you know dry crisp clean not too far from what you would be currently drinking as a macro beer um so yeah and it, like we get that feedback and i even just as as yesterday i had uh, people come in now for the new rotational lagers and stuff and uh we're going to fix the lager for christmas and uh, i had people i was kind of surveying the people front of house and they love it you know, so people love to be asked their opinion in the first place, but also, the, you know, I have a steer in my favourite, you know, I love coming to, to Treaty City, my favourite brewery is Treaty City, I have a steer in what they're doing, yeah. you know what I mean? And it's this community and that kind of bond between, oh, I have a direct relation to the, the beer, that, the product that I'm drinking that I can, you know, that's been produced. That kind of way. So yeah, and it, we're going to drink some kind of a flight anyway, Kev is going to be walking up and down the stairs, right? We're going to drink it through it. And that gives you a great idea. So you'll watch what goes quick, what sells quick, and then also you'll see what's been sent back. Yeah. Uh, now, never a beer in Treaty City has been sent back, right? <laughs> but, um, you know, you and you'll see people, and you have to kind of differentiate that then between, okay, it's whether Steve is not a stout drinker or an ale drinker, that's why, you know, they're not drinking or they're not reordering a beer like that, or is it that the beer isn't good enough? You know, like the beer needs to be changed or is it's not the recipe or we want to, you know, mix it up it's lighter, darker or higher ABV, lower ABV. So it's a, an instant feedback loop, which is brilliant. It yeah. really is. Um, good for the brewers as well to see, 
you know, when things aren't selling, what's going on? Yeah, and well then, uh, yeah, <laughs> do you know, at the cold face, you know. Yeah. This beer, uh, it's a gorgeous beer. and one, It's one I'm very, very fond of. Um, Thank you. I've been in Limerick. Uh, this is my third visit to Limerick in the last probably year, maybe 18 months. Yeah. And it's amazing to go around and see even the different bars. For, not, we're not talking about the craft beer pubs specifically. Yeah. A lot of the bars around the country, or around the, the city, sorry, you go in and you see that Treaty City tap standing proud there behind the bar. Like yeah. there, there's, there's quite a lot of support locally. There is, yeah. Like Limerick, and we're, we're probably going to touch upon it later on as well, right? But Limerick, we were always kind of the poor cousin, right? You're the third biggest city in the Republic, right? And we always had a big chip on our shoulder, right? Let's be fair about it, right? <laughs> um, and that works, that, that blade cuts, cuts two ways, right? Because the Limerick people, when they get behind a product or a, a company or an ethos or a community um they really give it their all you know what i mean and i we would have i don't know it's 70 to 80 taps uh limerick wide depending on the month and who's what's going on and what's happening um and i would say all of the big bars are pouring um harris pale ale it's again it's our largest uh, i think 65 or 75 percent of what we do is that beer but also it's an approachable, easy, not easy drink or super easy drink, but it's approachable craft beer um, that people that mightn't necessarily be in the zone of craft beer can go in and have a couple of pints of and support local. But we have got very, very good support from the vintners and from the hotels and from the restaurants. People are very proud of us um, and what we've done. And we saw that during the pandemic. That wasn't just the, you know, the trade, the taps, because it's quite hard to get tap real estate in the city, right? You're the third biggest city in the Republic. Um, it, we also saw it with the so the experimental beers we were doing during the pandemic we did um we did four beers every six weeks roughly right and i at the beginning we were sure everyone was green right um and we were i was driving the beers around in my van um and i was delivering locally in my van we hadn't got a trade part like fastways or uh, dbd and um people were buying our product that weren't necessarily drinking our product okay so uh, and there was two people in that category, two types of people in that category. One was the the guy who wanted to experiment or the girl who wanted to experiment, right, and try something new. They were sick of the Coors Light or the Miller, whatever. You know, after the 15th case of it, right, they were going again and need to try something different. But there was also the people, and it kind of leans to what you're saying about the, the support. Um, there was people that I know that don't drink beer. Not only do they not drink craft beer, they probably don't even drink, right? And I delivered cases to those people, to their houses, and they were buying cases of beer, because they wanted to live in a city or they wanted to be in a place where a treaty city brewery exists. They were saying, we want your product, not just your product and what you're doing, but your community and what you're trying to do. We want to live in a place where that is. And we will buy the, I don't know, whatever it is, a case, 45 euros a case or whatever it was. We will pay that 40 euros and probably pour the beer down the drain. You know what I mean? And I, I don't know. I don't know what they did with it. But I know that, those, that there were some people that I was delivering to and they were not drinking the product. Or, you know, they were not craft beer or beer drinkers. And um, that's very emotional. It's very, it, that kind of ethos and that support you get from the Limerick. We are, you know, we are definitely a tribe. I know Galway is the city of the tribes, but Limerick is definitely a clan, you know. Um, so yeah, we get we get fantastic support uh, locally and nationally as well. You know what I mean? We're starting to gain a kind of a cult following now, which is brilliant. You know, yeah. but um, that's why you would see. So I always say, if you go to a bar in Limerick and Treaty City isn't on the counter, then I'd say turn around because <laughs> <laughs> you don't want to be in that bar. I don't know. What I was, I'm probably pissing off a lot of people there, but whatever. Right? <laughs> no, God is good. No, we'll keep it. Um, 
yeah, so obviously Treaty City Brewery, it's a name synonymous with Limerick. It doesn't yeah. take, won't take any uh, no awards for guessing why you came up with the name. Yeah. But like, I suppose, what is it to you? You mentioned you were in Vancouver, uh, that you, you moved back home to Limerick, I suppose. Yeah. Uh, what You could have moved anywhere, really, in the country or, or in any other country. Like, what is it that brought you back to Limerick? What I, you? Do you know what? I have to admit this now, right? Because we're here and we're drinking beer and sure, why, why not, right? I actually did not want to move back to Limerick. Uh, I... I was coming home and I actually moved to go. So we, we, when we came home, my wife is a software developer and she took a job in Tralee and I took a job in Estella in Kilauglin. So we lived in Tralee for about a year and a half and I was kind of going, you know, I want to go. I was actually heading to Dublin because the, the, the business was in Dublin. My trade was in Dublin. Um, and then we, uh, Trassa felt uh, for pregnant with the second child with Ty and we moved. I took a... Uh, 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 a contract in Galway but at that point we made a decision we said okay well where can we go how where could we open this brewery what can we do with this brewery um and also where can we be around the community that you know our family is one obviously but that think like us you know what I mean and they kind of are the same kind of goal right so um we came back in 2014 um from Vancouver and then we I think we were 20 16 i think when the first brewery big brewery was opened in children's road um and i must say right and this my life is like this like the universe provides i'm the luckiest dude in the world to be honest you, right i i it just i i just have this luck in, in my hands and when we moved back to limerick it just it was it just fit i don't know how to describe it it's like a glove it's like it's just your your people are around you you know and the ethos was the same limerick and I was worried moving back, you know, because I was coming from Vancouver, right, uh, which is a major metropolitan city in North America, right? You're talking four million people in GVRD, you know, massive amount of, uh, you know, big city, right? And I was wondering, would you still have that kind of ethos of the youth and the growth and the, you know, the creativity and the stuff? And when I got back to Limerick, um, I kind of realized what was here was that same ethos that I was looking for in Vancouver. So we have an art college here, right? We have UL outside, there's 12,000, 15,000 students in UL. Um, you have a number of different bars and you have that, you know, with a, a kind of a left to center ethos and a left to, you know, that kind of uh, separate kind of, we'll do our own thing ethos, which is what I loved. And it was, it's, it's kind of like the, the beer world itself. It's that kind of very attractive, you know, ethos in people to kind of go okay yeah well i want to do something different and we'll support you to do something different so um the other thing being as well limerick is is uniquely positioned in the heart of the golden vale right and i know that's a 50s term or a 60s term of golden vale but i give it during the tour right i give the the gospel according to steve where i'm saying that the the river shannon is coming you know the biggest river in the british isles and all this kind of stuff but it's true Right, I might give it a bit more jazz envy in the tour, right? And it might be a bit of a kind of a sell, but it's true, right? You're talking about the biggest river in the British Isles. It is super mineral rich, and what you need for good quality product is good quality uh, water. Good quality beer comes from good quality water. Lovely, Kev. What are we drinking? Cheers, Kev. West Coast IPA, the new one. Lovely. Who brewed that, Kev? I did. Oh, lovely. Yeah, Come yeah. on. So, so when you're slating it, I'm yeah. listening back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm going on and tap later on, right? Cheers, Kev. Slancha. Um, so this is our, our seasonal release. Cheers right, to your health. Or sorry, our monthly release. Oh yes. Yeah. 
you know what? I think the West Coast. No, here, this is me. This is Steve talking. No, not the owner of a brewery. I think the West Coast are making a comeback. Big oh, time. big time! Yeah, Cloudy no. is. I get it, and it's all skinny jeans and Cloudy, and everyone's <laughs> doing their thing. I get it, right? Uh, and I like a Cloudy, and I was drinking Cloudy last night. But uh, I really, really like a easy drinking, approachable. You know, five to six percent West Coast IPA. Um, and here I'm going to give you a sell. Actually, no. We actually changed, so Shannon River, the last time, well, actually two times ago when we met, we had a product called Shannon River IPA. And it was, again, very, very much Pacific Northwest. It was where I I lived in Portland for a long while. Uh, I lived in Seattle, or I was in, moved in, or I'd go up and down to Seattle, but I lived in Vancouver. Uh, So that, because where I got my ethos, my brewing ethos, if you will, right? And uh, we had Shannon River IPA, which was 5.8% and all Centennial hops, right? Um... Uh, kind of in the vein of a two-hearted ale, that kind of zone, right? And um, I I looked at, uh, when, when we moved over to Invasion, so Invasion is an iteration of that, and we moved into cans, 440 mil cans, Gustavo upped the ABV by 0.2%, so brought it to 6%, um, and moved the hop addition slightly, um, and made it like a bit more uh, drier on the palate, and a bit easier, kind of pro- more approachable, more drinkable. And uh, we see it taking off now absolutely taking off and we we took on a trade partner sorry i'm sprawling through categories here right but um our ideas but we took on a trade partner during the pandemic uh abcd and their distributor for us now quincy bob and wickler wolf uh great guys now really really good team and um we when we went out with our flagship which obviously in in limerick is harris pale ale right is our is our approachable our 65 70 percent of what we do and what we slowly saw was the invasion, which is the new Shannon River, started to go up and up and up and up, and the sales of invasion started to creep up and creep up because it was good, easy drinking beer, but a West Coast people wanted to have a beer. You can have three, four, five, six of them, and it's not going to, you know, overwhelm your palate, or you know, you're not going to be getting tasered outside the local magistrate. <laughs> you know, it's only six percent. You know what I mean? It's not, you know, it's seven, eight, nine percent. Um, so yeah, I see the West Coasts uh, really, really taking off, and the classics. Well, Classics are always the best, right? But um, yeah, I, and this this was a kind of a homage to that. Was uh, we and these batches now? So I mentioned those uh, thirty six commercial beers in eighteen months. That pandemic uh, drive, we actually moved now to doing one beer release in cans and in kegs per month. Uh, so um, like we had a, a black lime and tangerine sour, which I think we might still have on draft. We might be tasting in a minute. Um, and this month's one is the West Coast IPA. Um, which I think is great beer, and we had it, just to kind of lean on what you were saying, I, we, we tapped it this to again, and I couldn't believe, the minute you tap the beer, boom, starts to fly, people going. Uh, now there's a bit of kind of a newness in that, but uh, what I watch is, I watch, uh, you know, is the second beer, is Steve drinking a second or a third or a fourth that's beer, exactly, yeah. you know, and that's the key, you know. It's not easy to sell the first beer, but it is easier to sell the first beer, to sell that beer twice, to sell that beer four times, 50 times. That's the trick. That's how it, That's the hardest part. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so really good beer. That's it. That's that's beautiful. Really enjoying that. I fully agree, by the way. I'm fond of a hazy. I have them every now yeah. and again, but you know, I, I'm, I'm West Coast all day. Yeah. I'll take that all day long. So I'm delighted too. to see the revival coming back. It's yeah. great. Yeah, yeah. I was watching and we'd, I've, I've made some mine in New York and in San Francisco and in Portland and stuff and guys that I would ring. So like my job in the brewery and this is gonna sound. I you know your listeners will probably be laughing at me now, but I my job is the the creative. Right? I'm I have to see where I have to be the Napoleon to see where it. You know what's where are we going, 
Um, so how I, there's a number of different ways I do that, right? But one of the ways is I have people on the ground in the States and in Europe, um, just friends of mine, right? Just beer guys, like, and um, I'd ring them and I'd say, hey, how's it going? You know, what's hot, what's not? You know, UK is really, really good now at the moment because they're trying different styles of beers and a lot of tap rooms, you know, and they're, since Brexit, they're a bit more insular. They're, t- they're looking back in themselves. They're targeting their own market. So it's easier for us to see kind of a feedback loop. But um, for this beer, I rang Nestor in Portland and I said, hey, how's it going? What's, you know, what are people drinking? And he said, they're drinking two things, Pilsners and West Coast IPAs. That's where it's at. And he's like, his local brewery is Rogue, The Shoots, Ex Novo, you know, yeah, like yeah. These big, big breweries, yeah. 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 <laughs> I, and it's amazing. We got the Nestor when I was living in Vancouver. I got the Nestor every six months, like, and we drive down in the back of a 940 Volvo uh, with, with the whole the exhaust. So I drive six hours into the wilderness in the Pacific Northwest and then land into Portland. But um, his local beer in his kind of local shop is Mir Pond, right? It's six pack Mir Pond. Best, one of the best beers in the world, right? Absolutely exceptional product, right? But it shoots. And, you know, so I, when, when Nestor says to me, this is what's going to happen and this is what's going on, I say, oh, yeah, this is, this is where it is, you know? You used to be able to judge it, you know? The day was, um, you know, as goes the West Coast, ghost goes the East Coast, as goes the East Coast, goes London, kind of UK, as goes London, UK, goes Dublin, and then goes Dublin, goes the rest of the country. That was yeah. the... Do you know, yeah, in the, into the, the life cycle, yeah, the, the life cycle, the, the, the flow, timeline. if you will, the, yeah. exactly. Uh, and up until the kind of, you know, two thousand and nine, two thousand and ten, I, I would argue that that was the way it was. But you see it now, where it, people are collaborating and looking and kind of engaging with more breweries outside of their own demographic, their own kind of geographic location, and the trends are tra- are traveling quicker. Yeah, you know, and they're they're moving quicker and. They're actually traveling the other way as well. So, like, if you look at that black lime sour, um, black lime and tangerine sour, um, I, you know, people, I see people now looking at, and kind of going, oh, gee, look what 3D City are doing, or look what, you know, crew are doing, or, you know, what are the guys in, what's now my dear doing, what's going on? And it's going the other direction. You know, it's coming back to the guys from the States are coming over here and kind of, oh, what's happening, you know? Um, and you see a lot of that from the supply chain management as well. Mm, yeah. So if you look at a prime example, now we do a lot of business with uh, Lachlan's Malt. Um, those guys, great guys. Will is really good, um, and Sarah, and, you know, really good contact with those guys. And they're starting to proliferate out what I would say our natural ingredients let's say mm. um, now they do have hops and stuff as well but from a mall point of view and like people are recognising us as being the industry leaders us being Ireland you know as being the industry leaders oh, wow the malt in Ireland is exceptional it's all too raw there's no six raw you know it's all the low protein low nitrogen really really good product you know um, and people are kind of looking and saying I see breweries now in the states with uh, like malting company or uh, Lachran's malt and they're doing the same as we would be doing when we're innovating with a New England IPA. Do you know that kind of way? They're, they're taking the Instagram and going, oh my God, it's really cool. Do you know? So it's amazing how it just changes, you know, that, that kind of life cycle, as you call it, or yeah, like, yeah. the product flow. Like. Absolutely, yeah. And it makes a lot of sense what you're saying. You're, you're keeping your finger on the pulse and looking at what's going on elsewhere yeah. because I've seen a lot of the releases that you've had recently. Like, I, if you're not the first, one of the first definitely to brew um, a cold IPA. Yeah. Um, I was over in San Diego in April, and it makes sense over there, but everywhere, Mexican laggers, absolutely everywhere. And they come back here and I was saying, there's a real gap in the market for a Mexican yeah. lager. And then lo and behold, you've brewed one. We've uh, we're yeah. on three, I think, now. Was there's one yeah, in Ferment yeah. as well, yeah. Absolutely, yeah. So it makes a, a, a Scotch ale, I think, or yeah. a Scottish ale you had I, recently. You know, that beer, I, the Scottish ale, I'll tell you what, right? We missed out, I think, because our, 
it's kind of reminds me and it's it like there's some beers that are are visually instagrammable and pleasing visually right and then there's other beers they require more of a, a cell they're more of a nuanced approach right and the scottish ale for me was a fantastic beer right lovely balance um really really good a, a, a flavor profile on it really malty nice kind of a, a approachable beer and um but it doesn't have that instagrammable appeal you know what i mean if you put and i i see it front of house right uh we we have outcast here we have a a, a version of outcast which is called vagabond where we change slightly not too much now not like a rotation but we might tweak the hops slightly or we might tweak the additions just to kind of doing a bit of experimentation but more in-house process than anything else um and if you take that beer on the day two days of sunshine that we do get right and you have this new england style you know 3.8 percent really really fluffy white head really shiny effervescent you know cloudy yeah, opaque opaque Just, yeah. yeah you know and you put it out and and people see that beer and you'll sell that all day long you know i mean it's a visual mm. whereas the, the the scottish ale the red yeah. uh, or <laughs> yeah. an irish red for that matter you know yeah. what i mean oh it's not as skinny jeans it's not <laughs> as cool you know um i, I don't know I, I i like the classics i do um uh, but uh, we see that as well with the stout so we have Sarsfield Stout that's on draft behind the counter here and we're actually across the town and you see it in Mother Max now and in Crow and stuff um, a traditional 4.2% dry Irish stout easy drinking approachable creamy creamy beer um, and it's amazing that I'll tell a, uh, tell a yarn right so my father who actually built the brewery he's a fitter he's a welder and uh, helped me along with CSE and those guys um, and we were here when I think it was March uh, when Leinster had to play Munster the game was pushed from November because we were in lockdown and Tony came down the stairs here so we were we were three deep at the bar right there was all the the Leinster crew were coming up and the, the Red Army was on the march up along right uh, we're on the route to, to uh, Toma Park here right and so Tony walks down and Tony is 72 years of age he's built the brewery himself his son owns the brewery so Tony doesn't queue right there's no, there's no I'm not queuing right this is not a thing right so we're three deep at the bar we're flat to the mat and Tony said um he stood on the stairs halfway down and let a roar at him and said, okay, give me three stouts. Him and his mates were upstairs. Give me three points of stout there, Steve. And uh, our stout is a nitrogenated stout. Uh, creamy, kind of does the cascading effect and that kind of... Um, and it was amazing. We could not sell a pint of stout before Tony walked down. So I poured the tree stout and you had all these kind of people who were not used to being in Treaty City, didn't kind of know what we did, saw a cascading, super creamy, dry Irish stout and went, oh my God, this is what we're drinking. So, you know, the Leinster boys were all in down with the jerseys and everything, right? And they went, I sold about six kegs on the back of that, those three pints because we were all... Creamy stout, go for it, you know. <laughs> so some beers are visuals, you know what I mean? You yeah, need yeah. to see it before you'll try it, you know. Mm. Um, and even if you look at people who are not used to the term New England, you know, or, or hazy, um, when they see it on the board or on a menu, where they go, oh, gee, I don't know, you know, whereas when they visually see it, they go, yeah, this is what I want, I'll try it. Um, but with the red ale is, is, is different, you know what I mean? It has a different... It, the red ale, you really need to try it and to taste it and to kind of to, to run. But uh, And that's the Scottish ale was the same thing. But sorry, I know that's a, a random kind of... Not at all, no. Tangent. It's great. Brilliant story. Um, yeah, I want to bring it back to Limerick a little bit. And I know we kind of touched on quite a lot of this already. But um, what is it about Limerick that you love, basically? Like, what? Oh, you're, you're so happy um, here. I, I'm a super proud Limerick man. Um... I love it and I give it during the tour I, I kind of say and the, the guys from the house are probably sick of listening to it now my people are from Park and I'm always giving the gospel according to Stevie my wife goes will you stop with that Ramesh people are just here to have a good time on a Saturday I don't want to hear your stupid story but um, so she, she's a very nice woman she's just quite critical of that story um, but uh, I 
I love the ethos, the underlying kind of Limerick is a, is quite a working class town, right? Um, and it, it has been for a couple of hundred years, right? But you contrast that with, or well, you you add to that that we are in the heart of the Golden Vale here. The produce is second to none here. Uh, really, really is. You have the River Shannon. You have fantastic malts, fantastic food, cheeses, and really, really, really good. Um, and you couple that with a. I, I mentioned we we are the black sheep, right? We're the third biggest city in the in the republic, and we we were always the poor cousin, right? So I think sometime in the eighties and the nineties, um, and I I think I was the first generation. Not I was that we were the, my generation was the first generation to, to kind of see that where. Um, we took on that persona and said, oh, look, okay, if we are going to be the black sheep and if we are going to be kind of left to centre, then we're going to do it. We're going to own it and we're going to do our own thing with it. Um, excuse me. And what you find is I love that kind of, well, you know, the creativity then, that gives a space for creativity to be able to evolve. And um, so you have, you, 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 you tap that then with like the two colleges, you tap a vibrant beer scene, like a really, really good nightlife. You put the sports in the Munster. No, I'm going to get rugby in there. I'm a Munster man. I'm going to, I am going to slip it in there. And the hurling, let's be fair, you know, we're doing a good job there. Um, but I just love it. I just love it. It is, it is quite, it, it's, it's quite an elixir, though, that mix um, where it's, it's an exciting place to live. Yeah. And it's an exciting avant-garde area. Not just, you know, I get it, right? I, I, again and my wife would give me from my soapbox right but you're on the, the edge of the Atlantic right and you're on that kind of real you know they're next up America kind of scenario right um, which is, is you know it, I think it plays into the ethos or the psyche of a people but you and then you couple, you know you add that to that creativity it's just it's just really I don't know I just really love it it's a limericism I don't know how to say it you know there but, is there's definitely a real buzz in the air though, yeah. isn't there? there's something around the whole area even just walking around the city earlier when I, when I arrived in just just a like it's a Monday afternoon and it's just a really good feel around yeah, like everywhere a good vibe you yeah. know and people you get people who have spent time in UL or spent time in LIT that are not from Limerick or wouldn't have any roots or traditional in Limerick are coming back on oh my god a great town uh, we get an awful lot here actually front of house I get an awful lot was I didn't even know Limerick was here this is amazing you guys are like you know I'm just after coming out of Mother Max and do the whiskey test and oh my god it was fantastic it was Tonda James and do you know this kind of stuff and you get you get that where people it's a real kind of uh, a hidden gem if you will right now I get it how that sounds right and I, I'm not trying to give you a sell right but um, it's a real kind of a hidden gem and people, when people kind of get into the ethos of it and figure out what we're doing and see and walk around and kind of go wow there's a, there's, there really is a lot going here um, and we are the third biggest city for a reason you know what I mean there's a lot of industry here there's a lot of medical device pharmaceuticals big manufacturing um, which allows that kind of creativity and people kind of want to come in and kind of try new things and they have the demographic and the money to try it as well, you know, which is good. You yeah, know? absolutely. Then I suppose on the, the rare days you do get a day off from work. Uh, what's yes. your favourite thing to do around the city? What, how, would you, how would you spend your days off? That is a great question. Um, I would say, to, other than going out around and drinking a couple of beers, right, you are, you're probably going to have on the podcast a number of the places that I would drink. Uh, uh, I, I, I have been known to frequent Mother Max inside or even crew above a sneaky point now when I'm under a Tuesday <laughs> um, I would say my favourite thing to do when I haven't been able to do it in a long time is um, spend a day in Toma Park uh, I, I miss it to be honest sure I really do um, being able to go out and watch a bit of rugby to be able to give out about the out half that isn't able to make, make the touch 
Um, and to listen to my father, myself and my father worked closely together. He built a brewery downstairs. He built a brewery in Chillers Road. And we're still, like, we're renovating the back now. We're doing bathrooms and figure, putting a new cooler in and all this kind of stuff. But um, to be able to, to argue with my father, not in a beer-related sphere, and to be able to directionalize that, I don't know, a scrum half or a, a, a hooker that didn't make his line or whatever, right? Um, so I would say, yeah, um, I like to get out and go for a walk. I'd walk the three bridges, um, maybe go for a sneaky point before the game into um, Katie's maybe, uh, have a fish and chip, you know, uh, just kind of sit down and relax, um, and then go out, watch a decent bit of rugby, um, or some somewhat decent rugby anyway, and uh, come back into town. Then go into Mother Max, go up the crew, have a couple of pints, and go up around the town. You know, into Mickey's there, um, and just soak up the atmosphere. That's that to me is, is a great day out in Limerick. You know, um, the Three Bridges I love to walk. Is our Three Bridges just for anyone who doesn't know Limerick? Is there's there's four bridges over the Shannon, I think. But anyway, uh, so the three. Um, you walk the three bridges and it's all on the river and it's along the side and it's just a really nice walk to have it's 5k from my house to around the three bridges and back and it's during the pandemic it became a real kind of thing to do mm. because we weren't allowed to do anything we were all burying people in our backyard if we decided to talk to our neighbour you know this is mass murderers you know you can't do this you can't do that so the three bridges became a thing to do and you can walk out get a bit of nature and then still stop off and treaty or you know wherever and have a couple of pints or you know this kind of thing so i, I love doing that it's a really nice thing to do yeah. lovely that sounds like, like a nice little day yeah to be it's yeah, a yeah. good way to spend an afternoon yeah you know? not bad not bad so then i suppose as we start to wrap up then so what's on the the horizon for for treaty what's what's coming down um, the line yeah i was just before you came in i don't know you saw my my accountant walking out the door right so that was uh, yeah, yeah. uh that was uh, that was an eye opener i know um so we have a number of different things we're doing um so we're kind of i won't say wrapping up the year but in the beer world we're kind of eight to ten weeks ahead right so we're focused on Christmas now. Um, I'm looking at what releases are for, what merch we're doing for Christmas, what kind of a tour profile we're going to have. We do an awful lot of corporate business in the building you're in. Um, the likes of General and Vistacon come in and they book out the tour for, you know, Thursday, Friday, Saturday stuff. Um, so we'll focus on that. From a beer point of view, um, we have a number of uh, really exciting uh, releases coming up. Um, you did mention the cold IPA. Um, we did it during the summer, and I really like the beer. I would have to say, I hope the revenue aren't listening to this now, but I probably drank 50% of the product myself. Um, I still have a small stash at home. Uh, yeah, we also... I, so I, I, we're probably going to do another version of that. Uh, it's really good beer, really nice style, actually. Um, and again, has the nice clean profile of a lager, has that kind of fermentation profile of a lager, but uh, with the happiness that I'd like. You know, I do like an IPA. Um, so we'll go into that and in 2023 i see us yeah changing a lot downstairs uh rotational beers one a month going through um adding probably two more to the core range is on the tiger you mentioned the the japanese lager the mexican lager that's probably on the agenda nice. um uh, we are just after adding misfits to red ale and i would also like to see a stout we did a stout i don't know if your listeners remember uh, it was called medieval quarter during the pandemic extremely successful beer now very 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 good um it's a carbonated stout so it's not nitrogenated uh, it was in bottle at that point but i would love a crack at that into the core range um and expansion yeah that's kind of what we're doing i'm trying to buy tanks at the moment and uh 
we're hiring for an assistant brewer if the, anyone knows out there there's assistant brewers out there looking for a job contact us but um yeah so that's kind of where we're going uh, onwards and upwards and innovation all day oh hang on oh. we'll wait for kev to come back first yes oh good mind yourself kevin kev. you're a gent so kev just dropped off some absolutely fantastic creamy looking starsfield stouts they look beautiful so yeah let that settle for a second in if you look into the actually into the uh, like we're we say in the near time right so we're coming into we launched this stout in april this year um to good fervor now and it was a lot we have good good accounts now supporting us with this that was great um and people are kind of more transitioning on because people couldn't during the pandemic couldn't get nitrogenated product you know in a well in any way that they were used to getting it anyway let's say that right um so we we developed the nitrogenator let's say nitrogenator over over the three years of the pandemic tony actually built it uh with the help of um uh, Gordon in Nine White Deer was instrumental. He's a good mate of mine to be honest, and he's a kind of a mentor of mine. I call him every so often, cry on his shoulder, right? You know. Uh, but we will move in. So we're into the September time frame. We did launch the, the stout during the summer, which is not traditional time for stout. It was a view to seeing what we could do when we get into the stout time, and now is the stout time. So you, in the near future, you will see us pushing this nitrogenated on draft product across the town. Um, and I see that kind of as that that golden triangle, if you will. So the Harris Pale Ale, the the Sarsfield Stout, and then a lager, you know, or a rotational IPA or something like that. A third treaty product. That's where I see our products going. But um, yeah, so you will see a lot more of the Sarsfield, and it will be making its way. It's the rugby season right now, yeah. and I know I hate to go back to the sport <laughs> for it, right? And beer obviously not leaning on sport, or well, quite close. But um, you will see. We'll go back to, like, people will be going in now, there'll be, you know, colder evenings, sitting in Peggy's parlour, drinking a pint after the match, you know, your creamy, yeah. creamy dry Irish stout, easy drinking, you know, it's good touch. But. Absolutely beautiful, yeah. We can't wrap up without touching on the tour available downstairs. I've done it myself recently. Absolutely brilliant, brilliant some crack. Um, so I suppose tell us a bit about it and, and how how do you how do you how do you get involved? This is my cell. This is go, okay, yeah. I need 4,000 people here next week. Um, uh, yeah, so our tours are quite different to um, a lot of the tours or most of the tours that are out there. Um, we try to give a bit about beer, you know, but um, also a bit of history about who we are and what we do in our ethos, right? It is really more about having fun and being part of, a, you know, being able to approach a product uh approach a product and approach a, a, an ethos or a company uh, easily right um, so we talk a bit about history about Limerick we talk a bit and it's kind of jokey and affy we do do the beer stuff so the enzymes and that kind of jazz but I tend to not go too detailed into it right um, I'm not a master brewer I'll tell you a good one at the start the first tour we had back post pandemic I had a a historian, an amateur historian, and a food scientist inside in the, the tour. And uh, I, I, when I start, when I'm nervous, I start to talk. I just got to ramble on and just keep going. And I was going on about enzymes and all this kind of stuff. And the food scientist was going, oh, not quite sure that's exactly <laughs> correct there. And the historian was going, I just Googled 1691, Siege of Limerick. Oh, that's not what happened. But um, <laughs> so it's, it's more a bit of a fun, right? So we run scheduled tours on a Friday at four. 
and on two and four on a Saturday we also have just introduced flights of beer where you can do a tasting of beer on site um, and we do a number of different events so the likes of slow Sundays now where at 12 to 4 every fifth, fourth Sunday um, we have a jazz musician comes in we have some vintage clothes in here Kev is doing an experience uh, a beer and tasting or beer and, um, and snacks tour upstairs where it's basically you know a tasting of the different beers we have on draft and pairing them with foods and stuff like that so um, our tours are very much you know something that you can do you can have a really relaxed time in a good nice environment um, and have a couple of beers and not get too into it I know other tours people go oh this is what it is and this is what beer is and you know it's for the brewers or for the beer heads you know um, we try to get everyone in that in that demographic we try to kind of widen the tour but um, yeah so they're bookable online um, that's myself they're bookable online and if you're coming to Limerick or in the vicinity or someone is coming in definitely let them know it's well worth the touch you know um, yeah that's our tour. I'd like to thank Steve for taking the time to chat, and I'd also like to thank Kev for supplying the beers for tasting throughout. The next leg of my journey brought me out of the medieval quarter and in the direction of Limerick's historic milk market. Located a stone's throw away from the market is Mother Max Pub. Formerly known as the Roundhouse, it features its distinctive curved facade and strong blue paintwork, and it stands proud on High Street. As soon as you walk inside, you know you're in a traditional Irish pub. There are no TVs anywhere to be seen, you're instantly enveloped by the spirited chatter of punters and you receive a warm welcome from the barman. It's quite simply a beautiful, comfortable space. I sit down with Mother Max co-owner Mike McMahon in the small back room known as Peggy's Parlour and ask him to tell me a bit about Mother Max. Uh, well, I suppose the building we're sitting in goes back to uh, 1860s. You know, so I mean, there's this huge heritage in, in where we are, and we're we're sitting even right now. We're sitting in Peggy's parlour, which is the older part of the of the building, um, and this this would have this would have been a standalone bar up until probably the mid eighties, um, and it would have been I suppose as, as as time went on, it would have developed into different things. It was there was a bit of a groceries here, there was a bit of a wine mart, um, next door, which would be which would be the old round house was the O'Malley's. And the O'Malley's were renowned, I suppose, in, in political terms. We were also known in Limerick as, as grocers, spirit merchants, and tea merchants. Um, and you would have found in the basement here, casks of whiskey, casks of port, casks of red wine. You know, and we, we often joke that we, because like, much of the interior is, is very original. Um, and in particular, the, the floors and the floorboards. So that, that, that smell is, is, is the, the, the whiskey and the smell of a pub coming up through, through, the, through the essence of the, I suppose, the being of the... Of the building, you know, and, and I, I know we, we, we do joke sometimes with Irish distillers that like we think Redbreast was was invented here, you know, that we, we should take all the credit and royalties for it. Now they're, they're telling us no, but I mean we, you know, the, the story goes back like in the, in the in the early 1940s when when they used to actually import butts of, of port, and because they were so big, they just poured the whiskey into the into the port butt into the sherry butt, and you and use it from there, and like hence, you know, it, it it is the beginnings of what would have been potentially red breast or something there something there so I suppose quick right on forward to more modern day I suppose we, we myself and my brother purchased the place in 2015 um, we, we opened the doors here on the 18th of December 2015 just before Christmas um, and I suppose we haven't looked back since I mean other, other than the mandatory closure of Covid we have traded I suppose every day we've been able to trade um, since then Amazing, yeah. Just just to touch back on the building, as you were saying it, like when you walk in, you just get that sense of history in here instantly. Like it's just, it's a beautiful spot, especially the room we're in here now as well in Peggy's parlour. It's it's just, it's a lovely little, I, calling it a snug is a disservice. It's far bigger than that, but it's just, it's just a beautiful room. It's 
it, it, again, this was a st- this would have been a standalone bar. You know, this yeah. was it, 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 it's famous in, in certain parts of Limerick. Um, there was a, a woman in Valis Dobbin would have owned it, um, and she's infamous for having no toilets. <laughs> so it was the only bar in, in the city with, which had no toilets. And, and where we're sitting now would have been the bar counter would have gone length and for those that are listening, basically on the long, along the longest wall, the bar counter would have been there, and it basically split the room into two. And if you had to use the bathroom, you went without the door and around the corner into laneway. And if there was any ladies present, and it was very rare that there were ladies, um, and this is, this is Alice's own words, very rare there were ladies here, but she'd send them around to the bar next door, which would have been the roundhouse, and they'd use Alice's lounge, as she'd call it. Nice. Uh, an adjoining bar, nothing to do with her, but they'd go in and, go in and use the facilities. <laughs> um, what I wanted to touch on is, I suppose, the ethos and the spirit of the place. Like, um, again, when you walk in, you see you cater to all audiences. You've got the, the usual taps and then you've got the fantastic range of craft, independent Irish beer on offering. For yourself, why is it important to kind of support independent Irish beer as well? Um, OK, I suppose back to the, the, the first point there. I mean, it, a traditional Irish bar is meant to be inclusive, you know, so I suppose from, from the offset, we, we knew that if we, if we excluded a whole portion of beer, that people wouldn't come in. And, and now we're becoming exclusive. And, and that was never the intent. The intent is always to be as inclusive as possible. You know, and as you, as you can see, right now you have people drinking pints of Guinness to pints of Mammoth, Treaty City, Harris Pale Ale, you know. So it's, everything kind of is, is, is flowing nicely. So we, we have a nice mixture and we always try to keep it kind of very balanced. Um, and, and you'll see on the front of the bar, there's, two, there's actually two tap banks. One for the macros, and then one for the independent micros. And, and it, I suppose it allows us to differentiate and it allows us to show that, that kind of balance, that yin and that yang almost, mm. um, that both coexist, both are very, very prominent on, on the counter. And even though the macros maybe look a little shinier and a little brighter, you know, they, they still have the exact same place as, as the independents on our counter. Um, I suppose the second thing, I mean, when we, when we looked to purchase the place back in 2015, I suppose we identified in Limerick that there was definitely a need for for more selection of homegrown beers um independent artisanal beers we're right beside the, the market we're located here beside the market which is which is absolutely fantastic in terms of food and the food offering that you get here kind of friday and, and definitely on a saturday morning is is, um, is unbelievable you know locally grown and sourced food vegetables meats etc cheeses um, you know, and, and we could see that the, 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 that was going from strength to strength. So it was a huge ask from people, you know, that they, they, they were going through a whole, I don't want to say food renaissance, but a whole uh, provenance in food and a whole, and a whole, a whole independence of food. Um, so we, we knew that, the, that that was going to have to happen with beer because food and beer are quite, are quite similar, right? And, and people who enjoy food typically enjoy beer and, and good drinks as well. Um, so I suppose in, in the business plan that we wrote back in 2015, you know, Good, independent, tasty beer was, was always part and parcel of it. Um, and I suppose over the last number of years, we've, we've, we've grown that to where it is now. I mean, we, we would have as many independent taps on the counter as we have macro taps on the counter. Um, and then depending on this time of the year, we'll often have more independents than we'll have in the macros. And it's just, it's just unfortunate. Sometimes we just need to, to double up on some of the, ma- the macros. But we'll always be pouring at least 12 independents um, if not 14 and um, which I think is which I think is significant so I suppose tell me a bit about yourself then Mike uh, you said yourself and your brother James co-own um, have you always been in the hospitality trade or, or how did how did you come to, to own Mother Max oh that's that now is is, is, is uh, I like to say that we had an apparition 
Um, but that 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 maybe we're drinking points. I don't know. Um, <laughs> we uh, I suppose quite simply, both like both of us, as 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 every eighteen and nineteen year old did when when you when you started going to college, you needed a job, and we found ourselves in the hospitality trade. We found ourselves in particularly working in nightclubs, um, and and we we just had a had a I suppose a grow for it and an attraction to it and. Yeah, we, we, we continued that work for, for quite a while, while we were both at college. Um, and, you know, I, I suppose post that then we've, we've, we've dabbled in and out of, out of pubs and we've helped out. And, you know, when, when people need a bit of a hand, we, they'll give us a call and we'll, we'll do a weekend from or we'll do a couple of weeks from if they need. But, um, but look, I, 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 left, I left hospitality. I went working for about 12 years in, in, in industry. I have a PhD in chemistry. Um, so I worked for, for three of the top... 10 medical device companies in the world which are based here in Ireland um, and really I suppose James, James was quite similar James went to work in the, in the, the, the print finish world um, we live quite locally we grew up quite locally we're from we're from the area I mean we're, we're, we're we actually own a bar in the same parish that we that we grew up as kids you know our, our house our home house is probably you know for, for all in once if as the crow flies you know 600 meters from from from, from here um, you know, so it, it's, a, it's a building that we know exceptionally well. It's a pub that we would have passed, you know, twice, three times daily on the way to school and back. Um, and, you know, it just was, it was, it was something we always had a conversation with. We were always going to go back and it was kind of more of a, I'm going to say more of a retirement dream. You know, when, when, we, when we have the few bob put together and we're kind of hitting semi-retirement, we'll buy a bar and we'll enjoy it. It'll be great, right? And... 2015, May 2015, I, I, I happened to be walking past the door here one afternoon, which is very rare for me because, I, again, I'd always been working away and I'd, I'd hardly be out of a plant normally at that, at that time of the day. And I just happened to see an auctioneer leaving the building here. Um, and I got talking to him and it just turned out the place was, was, was going up for sale. Um, so we, we, I suppose we, we got in before it even the sign ever went up in the door. Um, and yeah, look, we, we haven't looked back since. I mean, it's something that we, we love this trade. Um, it's something we, we wanted to do, I suppose, albeit as a, a semi-retirement thing, but when, when the opportunity came in this location, we said, right, you know what? You know, as a, as a full-time activity, we, we could give this a right good go um, because there was a need for, for a bar like this, a need for, I suppose, a traditional-style Irish bar because, I mean, we, we, we don't have TVs, we don't show sports. I mean, if if you want to have, if you want to read the paper, it's not really the place for you. You know, if you, but if you want the news, you can talk to the man to the left and the right of you. Yeah. You know, and I think and I think that's the way that's the way traditional bars should be. You know, yeah. um, and we, we, we felt that there was a gap in the market here in the city for that, and we we, we believed we could fill it. Um, yeah. and, and I'm hoping we have. <laughs> Amazing, oh, you're certainly doing a good job of it anyway. Um, yeah, so I suppose I then I want to like talk about Limerick a little bit, like itself, like so. There's a real buzz in the air around Limerick in general, but also in in the suppose, the craft beer scene as well. Um, what is it that you, that you love about the city? I suppose what is it uh, that makes it special for you? I never, I never said I loved the city. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh God, sorry, I do apologise. Um, to head of the head of comms for Limerick, that I that I apologise. Um, no, look, I mean. Really, I suppose to put it put it in context, like I, I, I was living out of Limerick for, for many many years, and it's, it's amazing to think that, that the city would have such a draw on you that it actually pulls you back, um, and and it's very hard sometimes to express what it is about about this city because it's like it's not the 
it wouldn't be the, 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 the bohemian or metropolitan centre that some other cities would be, but I suppose there's an honesty to it. Um, there's there's a there's a there's a groundedness to it, you know. I mean, there's a there's a, there's a sense of humour and the wit wit that comes in this city is, is unbelievable, you know. And these are all things that that, that that we love. And then just physically, I mean, it's it's quite a nice city. It's very very walkable. I mean, 15, 20 minutes would see you pretty much all around the city centre without without great without great um, panic. And you know, it, it there are some beautiful beautiful places to see and some beautiful things to do and fantastic things to do. But uh, yeah. It just is, yeah, there's a lot of pride, a lot of pride in the city, a lot yeah. of pride. And then in terms of the, the things you'd like to see and do, let's say on your, on your maybe your very rare days off, what, what do you like to do outside of Mother Max? I like to leave and uh, <laughs> <laughs> get out and boat. We, yeah, we're, we're, kind of, we're kind of tied to the building as small, but it's, it's terrible, right? Because um, often we find that the beers that we select to go on the taps here are the beers we like to drink ourselves. So even on your day off, you kind of pop in for... for pick up a growler or pick up a beer or you know or, or pick up a couple of bottles or cans because there's beers here that you want to drink that maybe you're not necessarily going to get elsewhere um so you do all you do almost find yourself passing through the place even when you're off um but look when when, when i suppose when we do get the opportunity to to be off i mean th there's huge things happen i mean very simply put milk market right beside us here is the home of what what they call live at the big top mick dolan in, in, in dolan's and um, down the dock road like for the remainder of this year, there are nine gigs planned. So there's nine concerts down there, and that's ranging everything from Hermitage Green to the Stranglers. Stranglers are playing this Thursday. Um, you know, so it's, going to events like that are fantastic. You know, and he also runs, I suppose, events over in the castle, which are, which are quite good. Like this summer, you would have seen the likes of um, Denise Child, Van Morrison, over there, which, which is it's fantastic to think that, that that's, that's going on in your doorstep. And then I suppose that the most obvious one that, that, that we, we, we all love, I mean, is, is basically sport. You know, we have we have Toman Park, which which no matter where you stand in the city, you can you can see, you know, and then you have the Gaelic grounds aside in Limerick Hurling as well. So I, I, you'll find that most people in the city are a bit sports mad as well. And like personally, I, I like nothing better than getting out to Toman Park on a, on a good cold Friday evening, you know, to watch it to watch a game of rugby. Whether they win or lose, it doesn't really matter to me. It's just get it's getting out in the boat, you know, and the, and the same with hurling. Um, and other than that, it's just drink a few beers, you know, eat, yeah. eat, eat some fantastic food and just, just chill out in the, mm. in the city because there's some, there's some absolutely f fabulous pubs, absolutely fantastic restaurants. Yeah, I was saying to Steve earlier, like I'm just walking around the city on a, on a Monday afternoon and there's, there's a real just buzz in the air and it's just a nice place to be, you know, it's just it's really uh, nice. Uh, look, it's, it's, yeah. it's, I suppose we, Limerick has got a bad rep down through the years and I mean, we, we, we're, we I suppose, as, as Limerickonians and we as, as Limerick people are very aware of that, so I mean, we... We welcome people, I suppose, a little bit more than, than, than others would, and we're, we're glad to see visitors here, you know, and, and I think that, co that comes across in, in any business that you walk into, any of the hotels, definitely any of the pubs, you know, and just the general people you meet in the street, because, you know, for, for, for many, many years we, we, had, we had no visitors, we had no tourism here, and I suppose in the, in the past, with the exception of COVID, in the past number of years, you know, tourism is on, is on the up. I mean, I, I can't remember that the figures I was reading there recently was at a hundred thousand visitors to, to King John's Castle. You know, there's over a million, over a million um, visitors um, expected this year. You know, it's it's colossal. Mm. You know, and if if you consider we, we would have hosted out in UL um, this year that the, the World Under 21s Lacrosse was was held outside our World Cup. You know, the, the Quidditch World Quidditch Finals were, were held outside her. You know, and then you had and then you had the World Frisbee Freestyle Frisbee Cup. You know, so I mean there's there's some weird and wacky sporting sporting events going on as well. Like and look that wouldn't be happening here un, unless 
you know, the city was doing something right and, and its inhabitants were doing something right. You know, and we're, we're very conscious of that. And it's not only the city doing something right, yourselves are clearly doing something right here at Mother Max because you've been nominated for award after award recently, uh, which is amazing to see, both nominated and winning awards. Um, how'd you do it? <laughs> How's that happening? Uh, that, no, if I, could, if, I could, if I could answer that, I could bottle it and sell it. <laughs> I suppose I, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say it, it's, it's not me and it's not James, not, not solely anyway. Right? We, we have a fantastic team. I mean, you, you met Vinny there behind the counter. Some people believe that he's a figment of our imagination <laughs> and we've just made him up. He is real. Um, I, I, I think Bob up in White Hag came to a realisation uh, last year that he, that he was he was real. He was a real. He wasn't just a, a, an entity that we had Character, created. Yeah. It wasn't just a marketing <laughs> tool, you know, and we kind of went, no, no, he does exist. Um, so, yeah, look, it, it's definitely a team effort, but, I mean, I think we... we we try to focus on what we're, we're on what we're really good at, um, and we put our we put our effort and energies there. But we also, I suppose, look at maybe where, where we can improve ourselves constantly. Um, and I think it's that kind of three sixty feedback that we get from customers and, and, and from these awards. Because these awards, to be quite honest, which are probably the, the single biggest benefit um, from them is, is seeing where improvements can be made. Um, and you know that feedback is, is is immense because you have people who come from outside of the city predominantly who come in and, and are seeing you off spec you know you, they have a glimpse that moment you, you either you either do it or you don't and that feedback is huge yeah. because you, you can feed that back into to, to your loop here and we can feed that back in with the staff and we can we can make some corrections as, as they're needed and we can I suppose we continue to grow develop and and get stronger um, but I suppose what I, w- what I will say, right, awards are, are, are great and awards are fantastic and we're delighted, I mean, to, to have the awards. I mean, we were, we're a bar, traditional bar of the year in, in pub awards um, and, I, I, you know, we were, we were you know, in the bar of the year awards, Irish pub awards. I, we've, been, we've been nominated as an innovative um, bar of the year for, for uh, Northwestern or sorry, Southwestern group um, and we, we'll, we'll go on up to Dublin later on in the year to, to, to contest that. But they are retrospective. They're back looking. You know, they are. They are a glimpse in. They're a moment. Um, they're what has what has happened. So we have to be very conscious not to get too carried away with them as well. We have to keep moving forward and what's next. And I suppose keep standards high and keep looking to what we what we do or and what we do every day, today, tomorrow, and, and next week. You know, and, and and not let that go to our heads because it's very easy, very easy. I suppose let things slip when you think you are the best or you think you are at the top. Um, and it's very easy fall. Very, yeah. very easy yeah. fall. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely, yeah. So that, that constant proven mindset is clearly in there. Um, so then looking down the line then, what, what is coming down the line? How are, what's, what's in the pipeline for, for Mother Max? We don't share that ever. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> we were to give that. We were to give that away. No, look, I, I, we're, we're, we actually are an open book on a, on a lot of things, right? Um, some of the things we do are, 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 are sporadic. Some of the things we do are as a result of, of, of immediate asks that we see and others are, are planned out. Um, like, for instance, we're, we're kicking off this week in, in conjunction with um, the Nighttime Economy support, support Scheme, we're kicking off Stories, Sips and Song. Um, we're bringing in over six weeks, an artist each week for six weeks on a, on a, on a Tuesday night. They're going to come in for about an hour, uh, an hour and a half, and they're going to talk about their story of, of their career to date, the highs, the lows, I suppose some of the key learnings they would have had. They're going to talk about maybe a, 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 a sip that would have meant something to them at some stage in their life, whether that be good or bad. 
um, and I suppose the emotional context of that, and then and then some music that has meant something to them as well. Not necessarily, not necessarily something that they have written or sang themselves, but it can be it can be anything. And I suppose the the idea behind it is like the traditional bar is is is, is an intrinsic piece of intangible culture, and that's what we want to try and capture. Um, and like we have, we have some lovely, we have some lovely people lined up already. Uh, can't really go into all of it because they're not all signed up. But we're kicking off um, with, with the likes of Dan Mooney. We have Emma Langford joining us, um, and then a superstar, Paddy Mulcahy, who is, if anyone knows him, he was signed by Sony Records uh, two years ago. They created a whole, a whole label for him, you know, because what he does is, is so unique and so special. So it'll, it'll, it's going to be interesting. And three more we have, we have, but I can't tell you who they are. <laughs> I'd like to thank Mike for taking the time to sit down and have a chat about Mother Max. As he mentioned throughout the chat, that continuous improvement mindset is evident in everything they do. If you haven't been, then I would highly recommend the visit. I also had the pleasure of meeting the famous, or infamous, Vinny Galuli, and I can confirm that he's real. My third and final stop is a short stroll away from Mother Max. Located on Thomas Street, Crew Brewing is a brewery and tap room with a strong community ethos. In addition to making exceptional beers, it prides itself on making the beer scene as welcoming and as accessible as possible to everyone. Inclusivity is at the heart of everything they do, all with the benefit of customers, staff, the wider city, as well as the entire beer scene in mind. In contrast to the traditional Irish pub setting of Mother Max, Crew definitely leans into the modern taproom feel. As soon as you walk in, you see a range of impressive stainless steel tanks, which directly serve the beer that is brewed just metres away. While the decor is in contrast, the welcome is exactly the same. You're warmly greeted by the friendly member of staff who is behind the bar and is on hand to help guide you with your beer choice should you need it. As you walk a little bit further into the taproom, just beyond the bar on your right hand side, you can see directly into the brewery itself. This is often where head brewer and co-owner John O'Croot can be seen working on one of his latest beers. It's here where I sit down with Jono and ask him to tell us a little bit about crew. So we opened September 24th, 2020, um, so kind of in the middle of the pandemic, which wasn't ideal. We were open for 11 days, and then we were closed again for another like eight months with restrictions. We don't have a kitchen or any of that stuff. Um, so then we kind of came back then in the June, and we've been going steady since then. So it's our second birthday this weekend, but we haven't really been open the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> nice. So second birthday from the, the day of inception. Yeah, but, uh, we just wanted to celebrate of... sooner. So, yeah. <laughs> so that was the day we opened. It's just that we were then closed for a long time. <laughs> so then, like, how did you get started? Like, where did the idea come from, the spark or the inspiration or what got you going? Drinking mostly. <laughs> <laughs> so it started with, like, just drinking it after parties or drinking in pubs and talking about how we'd love to do the things we were already doing but for ourselves and to do them kind of in a different way and a more people focused way and we're able to do things that we felt were justified but that our former employers maybe didn't always do um, and like a lot of things it was just a lot of talk for ages and then there was kind of a convenient timing where I had just graduated from the Master Brewer program I'd left my previous job to do that and the only jobs really going were in London and I didn't want to leave Ireland. I'd been away from Ireland for seven years. So we wanted to stay. There wasn't really any jobs here. Like so many breweries, there are two or three people jobs or it's family run or it's two partners or whatever. So there's not really a big turnover of staff and a load of jobs going in the craft kind of sector. So yeah, I didn't want to go to London. Decided that was the time to actually give it a go, write a business plan and all that. So um, we did all that. We felt like there wasn't enough money 
but uh, then we got some grants and some loans and some people interested in all the rest of it. So, so you're saying we as a collective at the moment. So I suppose uh, tell us a little bit about yourself, your background, and then who else is involved in crew as well. Yeah. So <laughs> my background's in brewing, which again started with drinking, <laughs> and then I was a tour guide, and then I worked packaging line, and then I worked the quality assurance lab, and then eventually on to brewing. Then after all of those things, so I've kind of done everything you can do in a brewery. And then originally it was me and Gareth. Gareth was running restaurants, so he was kind of the hospitality side. Um, so yeah, we have the bar here. We don't do any packaging for offsite or anything like that. So I needed someone who knew how hospitality worked because I have no idea other than being on the good side of it. <laughs> like I've been a customer many times, but not very often involved. So uh, it was me and him, and then Joel came on quite quickly. He's also running restaurants for years and years. So um, yeah, that was kind of the three of us doing all of the licensing and planning permission and setting up and getting investors and whatever else we needed to do. And then there's now five of us. So Emma, who does design work and works at the bar, and Eloise, who's working at the bar and helps out with some brewery bits as well. And that you touched on your kind of your, let's say your former employers didn't do certain things that you would have liked to have done. Uh, where were you working at the time? Or not specific businesses, but like. But actually, you know what's interesting is that. I actually had the good side of all of that, so I always worked for really good employers, um, and then I was always kind of stunned at stories I heard from other people, and the other guys, they would have worked in kind of places that didn't treat people as well, so we had kind of dual motivation that way, like I knew ways it could be done, and they knew ways it shouldn't be done, or like how to do it badly, um, so I worked at Steam Whistle Brewing in Toronto, that was the greatest place on earth just a big uh, like Charlie the Chocolate Factory style place but for beer everyone's so happy and like they were so supportive of everyone uh, I knew at that point I wanted to open a brewery one day so they paid me to do shifts with like accounting and shifts with marketing which was like not going to help them at all it was nothing close to what I was doing for them uh, but they were happy to just like send everyone everywhere and get everybody involved with everything so uh, they treated people really well they were involved really well with the community they looked after the beer really well um, and yeah, I'll not name the places in Belfast yeah. where, where the lads were working, but there was some more kind of money focused, I guess, and less involved owners. So people that were just like arriving and checking books and um, working off that rather than actually being involved in the business and, and investing in the people and a lot of other issues around breaks and everything else. You get in hospitality all the time, scheduling and all sorts of bad stories. Yeah. It's amazing how... I suppose motivation can work on both the positive side and the negative side and how yeah. you both came together in that, yeah, that, that, that was common space. Me. It's like I always looked at like Left Field Brewery is a great one in Toronto. They're a living wage employer and they <clears throat> treat people really well and you can kind of tell that when you go to their tap room. So I always had all these positive examples and yeah, the lads had a long list of things they didn't <laughs> want to, to be happening here. Yeah. Fair enough. Yeah, that's good. So I, I suppose that brings us on to the, the ethos of crew in general then and I know it's 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 an extremely welcoming space it's it's a beautiful space here and uh, tell us a bit about it then yeah so the ethos is is community we always look at community in a lot of different ways so it's the community of people that work here uh, the community of people that drink here the wider community uh, in terms of the city and the world so for sustainability and whatever but like the city in general how we can improve the city and then um, can't remember the one I missed <laughs> uh, People that drink here, so like you're looking at keeping people safe who drink here, making sure they're included, making sure that people are brought along the craft beer journey with you because the craft beer community is not always as inclusive as you would hope it would be. Um, and it's easy for people like me to access. I never had a problem, but there are lots of other people who are either intimidated or you go into a bar and there's like a, a tap list of things you don't know, breweries you can't pronounce, styles that you've never heard of, and it can be quite a, a tough 
challenge to get that first step to, to learning about the things and being involved with it. I think most people in Ireland or really anywhere who are really into it started because a friend was really into it and they kind of brought them along and they got them to try different things and they started to learn, oh, I like sours but I don't like IPAs or whatever it might be. But there's not many places where you can go in and start that journey without being kind of brought along by a friend. So it's important for us that we're that kind of stepping point for a lot of people. Okay, nice. So that accessibility really, like in terms of both being a warm, friendly, welcoming environment, uh, having your, maybe if it's your first time, kind of leading you along a little journey saying this is, if you like sort of this type of style, maybe try this. Is that is that how it works? Yeah, I think like what it comes down to is that craft beer has given me a lot of my life, like both a career and sort of a hobby and th- a, a world that I'm really interested in, in beer history and in different breweries. And I'd like everybody else to at least have the opportunity to be as excited about that as I am, whether they go as far as I have or they just have a few beers or whatever it might be. But there shouldn't be anyone who feels like they're left out because there's no taste bud difference. So there's no, you know, there's, there's no actual real barrier. It's all created barriers um, uh, by kind of the scene and the system that puts certain people off. So we want it to be clear that craft beer is for everybody and that if you are curious about it or you'd like to drink something different this is a place where you can come and you're not going to be condescended because you like other beers or you're not going to be confused or overwhelmed or intimidated because you don't understand what's going on it's like okay come here and we'll help you (laughs) (laughs) nice nice and then i suppose on the 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 beers you brew here so your approach is slightly different you have your 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 brewery in house um it all goes straight onto tap here so so how how does it work um, so yeah, we produce batches of 300 and 600 litres. Um, we have a couple of beers that come around fairly often. We have Polly as a tropical IPA that will pretty much always be on. Um, and then a few other beers that kind of reappear, but it's a lot of new beers. So I think we're at 49 or 50 now. Um, and the intention is for that to just keep going. Um, the beauty with 300 litre batches instead of 40,000 litre batches like at my old work is that you can do uh, kind of weirder stuff or take a few more risks. or you know, even if you talk to, you've talked to loads of breweries all around Ireland and you've talked to brewers and I guarantee they've told you they'd love to make this, but there isn't necessarily a market for it or it's hard to push. But there's 300 litres. We can sell 300 litres of any kind of non-fashionable style, no problem, particularly because our regulars are excited about whatever we're excited about. So like when we brewed, we brewed a Rauk beer, which we'll do again next month, and that's one that I know a lot of brewers would love to brew, but it's, it's maybe hard to push through off licenses and all the rest of it. But when people come in here and they see that I'm really, really excited because we got to brew this thing again, they're willing to try it. And for the most part, once they try them, they like them. So it's, it's not an issue, you know? You're not trying to stand out on a shelf. You're just trying to talk to someone the other side of the bar and say, this is really exciting and you won't find many of these. And that's why people are into it. It, so- it sounds like a brewer's dream, to be honest, just to have that <laughs> literally limitless possibilities there and just being able to watch what you can brew. Yeah, it is. It's stressful as well. But- yeah. <laughs> <laughs> then like, you've got literally an infinite supply of beers out there that you could potentially uh, brew. Um, how do you decide? Like, how, how, how do you go, okay, we're definitely going for this, sir? So, like, pretty much everything we do is group decisions. So uh, we just finished our meeting there, actually. We have a meeting every Monday with all our staff. We try to have a totally non-hierarchical structure. So if someone's excited about something, we just kind of go with it, whatever, whoever they are and whatever it might be, or matter kind of how mad the idea might be. It's like, okay, let's go away and try and work it out and see if we can do this. Um, so, yeah, you, like, there are a lot of beers that I always wanted to brew or there's, like, you get inspiration from other Irish breweries or, like, I know you were with Mother Max today, I go there for pints and try something from one of the other Irish breweries and it literally get me excited, but for the most part, it's just, on a Monday, you go, does anyone, like, 
you know, someone may have read about a certain style that's been that's been dead or has been revived some some small part of the U.S. or something, and it's like, okay, I'm, I'm going to go out and find out about that and see see what we can do. Um, now, having said that, it's also like a lot of hazy parallels and hazy IPAs as well. <laughs> so, like, yeah, you're still kind of following the trends somewhat, but you do get a bit more leeway to to go a bit mad sometimes. Yeah, exactly. And you get that balance in between. It's kind of like you sneak the odd yeah. rare style in between <laughs> the others. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Also, like, I'm fortunate. I know a lot of brewers you talk to. They don't love the kind of a lot of the styles that are popular at the moment. So they're kind of not super fulfilled making them. But I love hazy hoppy beers like I absolutely love them so it's not a problem for me to come in every week and play with different hops and have a different thing going for that so yeah okay. nice. I, I've never met a beer I didn't like so yeah. <laughs> I'm happy to brew everything basically then you touched on your background so you were working with uh, Steam Whistle over in Canada um, how did you I suppose how did you find yourself from there to being head brewer here uh, what was the journey in between um, so yeah at, at Steam Whistle I, I did everything like I was saying so um, started with a packaging line where you're just carrying things around um, cleaning floors and all that and then right up cellaring quality control everything and then at that point I, I knew I wanted to open a brewery but I wanted to have I wanted to have like a proper qualification so that I would be more equipped when we opened and that if it went wrong or we didn't get opened, it would be a lot easier for me to find work somewhere else. Um, so I went and studied for the Master Brewer program in Chicago and Munich and then it was after that that we started kind of getting serious about this. Then I suppose to, to move on to Limerick, the city itself, um, like just from talking to the other guys earlier on today, like there's a serious buzz in the air just in general walking around the city but then there's a serious buzz about the Irish beer scene here too. What is it about Limerick that drew you to it? So, there's two sides to it. The first side is a practical one, which is that pub licenses in the north cost twice as much as they do down here. So all of us are involved, um, or at least originally involved, are all from Belfast. So that would have been kind of the natural thing to do, would be to come home from Canada and open in Belfast, but we couldn't afford it, basically. So at that point it was like, right, we need to go somewhere in the south, we didn't have ties to anywhere, we didn't really know anyone anywhere, there was no good reasons to go anywhere, so we just went on a road trip and uh, drank beers everywhere. and. We kind of fell in love with Limerick and the support the Treaty City were getting. Like everywhere we went, everybody was telling us, oh, there's a Limerick beer, there's a Limerick brewery, you need to try this. So we felt like if there was a lot of support for them, um, there would be a lot of support for us as well. Like there is a big support local thing here and people are very proud of Limerick and there's so much going on. Like it's such a booming scene. I'm always worried doing things like this because uh, too many people are going to come <laughs> and ruin it. But uh, no, like there's just, it's it's at this really exciting time now where um, for arts and for music and for beer and for everything else, it all kind of seems to be coming together and all of those communities support each other really well. So we're involved with a lot of different kind of like exhibitions and launches, whatever, we'll donate beers and th those people drink with us and kind of every, like the music stuff, everything, everything just comes around and everybody kind of helps each other out. Um, and I felt like that wouldn't have happened in a lot of cities. There'd be a lot of cities where you'd be like another place, whereas here we were able to come in and kind of be the place for 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 beer, for in terms of the breweries at least. That's a long list of reasons to love the city. But um, <laughs> what do you like to do? Uh, let's say you get a, a rare day off from here. You're not brewing. You're not cleaning. You're not you're not <laughs> serving. You're not doing something. What do you like to do around the city? Like what? How, what? Uh, so basically, what you've done today is what I like to do. So I go up to Treaty City. I like drinking there because I get to complain about brewery stuff and people people understand. And <laughs> uh, Mother Max obviously always has an amazing selection. They're such great lads. They were so good to us opening and um, helped us with all sorts of bits. So I like to go there and then. Um, I, late night, there's always things going on, like either the commercial or pharmacia. Pharmacia is kind of where I where I tend to head. 
Um, I'm trying to think of something that doesn't involve drinking that I do, but <laughs> it's a challenge. There is, like, but there really is. Um, in terms of the music and in terms of art, there's always stuff going on, so you're kind of never short of of, of something to do. Um, yeah, it's a beautiful city. There's a castle. People seem to like that. For me, it's more kind of the venues and the and the spaces that way. <laughs> there's a castle. <laughs> there is a castle. I don't know that much about it. It's right by Treaty City, so I've yeah. seen it. Yeah. My mum went. She said it was very good. So you mentioned earlier that you're open for 11 days before COVID struck and you, you got shut down. Um, like from nearly from your first day, it's been an absolute roller coaster, like all along. Yeah, it was actually worse than that because we, so we ordered equipment in November of 2019. We signed the lease in June of 2019. Um, so we got kind of word of COVID being a major issue from the factory in China initially. So our fermenters come from China. The factory was closed down and we were like, oh, I hope that doesn't delay us by a couple of weeks or whatever. <laughs> and then we realized it was actually going to be a much bigger problem than that. But um, it meant that the pub was ready to open um, probably three or four months before we were allowed to. And then there was kind of a period, I know everyone forgets the way the restrictions went, even myself, even though we were having to deal with them. But pubs were open and then that was our first time open. And then 10 days after that, the, or 11 days after that, the pubs were closed again. Um, and then, yeah, it was substantial meals and all. I'm sure everybody remembers that, that fun. Oh, yeah, yeah. So we didn't have a kitchen, so we weren't kind of able to do any of that. Um, there was one time we opened, we did kind of crowlers for takeaway, which went well, and we sold merch. And actually, that was like the first sign that people were really, really going to go out of their way to help us because there was people buying hoodies who had never even been in here in the 11 days open. They just had heard about it. They wanted us to still be here by the time the restrictions were lifted. So people were really willing to go way, way, way out of their way to help us out. So that was kind of the start. Like, I feel like we've got a lot of support kind of because of that. People have a lot of sympathy or whatever it might be for the struggles that we had to go through. But now we're up and running and the same people are here all the time. So so there was there was obviously quite a few lows at the start, just trying to get things off the ground. What have been the highs then along, along the way? Um, just like the highs really are just seeing people enjoying it, you know, and seeing it's a lot of the same faces but there's new people all the time and seeing those new people be included then in, in kind of the things activities we do or just involved in the groups in general that kind of kind of hang out here and uh, yeah I don't know it's just incredibly fulfilling to watch someone come in uh, with no idea what's going on with no clue what they want to drink and then you see them a few weeks later really excited because there's a new hazy out or because there's a new sour out and you're like okay this is amazing because a month ago that person didn't know what a sour beer was and now they know the strawberry billing is coming out in a few weeks and they're messaging us saying when's the release date for that and all you know it's so it's rewarding that way i think when you're production brewing you don't necessarily know who's drinking your beer and you don't know what journey they're going on or you don't know how they're connecting with it um so even like we'll get messages all the time from from people they'll be elsewhere or they'll be at a festival and all they can get is kind of a mass-produced beer and they're saying i can't i can't wait to get back i can't believe i have to drink this over the weekend and all that so and those are people who wouldn't necessarily have drank crap beer at all before we opened so so then I suppose you touched on it earlier that your, your ability to just to like serve directly over the counter, have a chat with the customer, like how important is it having that direct feedback as, as people are tasting it and they can, you can get engage their response for the beer straight away? Oh, people will give you their response. <laughs> <laughs> people aren't shy. No, uh, it's amazing because it really reduces the feedback loop time. So when you're trying to iterate recipes, you can go through things really, really quickly and you have a really clear idea of, of what people liked and didn't like about it. Um, I think if you're in a production facility again, you don't really know how things are going down. Often the only feedback you'll be able to get is like say through untapped, but the untapped users 
don't really reflect like the population of people that drink beers that well either so that's not that helpful um so all you can really do is you do your in-house stuff and you do in-house sensory but the like kind of how people are receiving it in the market other than through what's selling can be quite hard to gauge uh whereas here you'll know very quickly yeah people will tell you this and that and like um we're very open with people if if we produce a beer before and we tweak a recipe and there's a regular we'll say to them oh, we did it a bit differently this time and they'll say oh no i prefer the last one or this one's more caramelly and i like that about it or whatever so you're able to get really high quality information really quickly so it just allows particularly if we ever to expand or like we want to use some of these brands um more widely where we've already kind of accelerated through the first few years from if you just open at a production facility um, and obviously every brewery should be working on process all the time and we are doing a lot of trials of different different process stuff so to be able to immediately find out on the day it's released you know we do an end of shift email every day every time there's a new beer that's mostly focused on what people thought of it and what they thought of the changes and all the rest of it so um yeah there's no other resource like it like i think everybody should have this even if they're a production facility they should have a space like this as well because it allows you to really fly through things a lot quicker one thing I've particularly noticed and I really, really enjoy is that um, you're, you're like I'm a dog owner and you are very, very dog friendly here. Um, you encourage and welcome the dogs in. Um, how amazing is it to see like so many, so many dogs knocking around the bar? Like? Yeah, well, the main thing is that Emma wouldn't work here if there was so many dogs. Emma would leave us for a, a dog friendlier place. No, it's great, and um, it's just kind of it's in line with all the other things we're trying to do right you're trying to make it as relaxed as possible and you're trying to make it as comfortable as possible and you're trying to ensure that everybody knows that they're welcome here and um particularly the saturday and sunday afternoons you come in and sometimes there's more dogs than people <laughs> it's uh, yeah, it's quite the display in here but um it's good for everyone sure everyone that drinks in here loves it as well and it's good for us and it's uh, it's just nice to see about the place great for instagram as well <laughs> yeah <laughs> absolutely yeah um, so you touched on it uh, there's a strawberry Berliner coming down the line uh, what else is on the horizon what, what sort of plans have you got lined up uh, so the weather's turning a little so we're kind of going maltier now so we'll definitely do the rock beer again we'll definitely do kind of this amber and a couple of other kind of darker bits like the summer was basically hazies and sours and then we kept kind of the odd stout taking over to keep people happy but for the most part everybody was drinking hazies and sours sat in the sunshine and um, so yeah, it'll go a little darker. Apart from that, like all our schedule is done on my notes app on my phone <laughs> and we're not that far into the future with it. We kind of never really know. Uh, so we'll wait and see. Like, I don't like planning too much as well because we're getting the feedback like we said so quickly. So it's good to incorporate that. And also because of our size, often the ingredient suppliers will come to us with innovative products and they'll say like, can you try this in a beer in two weeks? Give us some feedback. And I'm just like, yeah, it's fine. We don't have a year or two years of, of the tanks planned out like some breweries have to, to for distributors and all the rest of it so uh, yeah I kind of just see how it's going see what people are enjoying and just keep adapting that way and then one of the, the most notable features about the bar is having the, the open glass looking into the into the brewery there do you often get spectators and onlookers <laughs> looking in as you're working or do you try and plan to brew when, when the doors are closed mostly the dangerous stuff's done by the time we're open <laughs> which is nice but um, particularly double brew days like the double batches are long so we're still brewing in the evenings then and um i think it's good it adds like a really nice element for people um but with so much stuff we're doing is trying to connect people with the process and with the beer there's so many people who don't know what beer is who have been drinking beer their whole lives like they don't know an ingredient they don't know where it's made it just appears in pubs from one of these big factories somewhere and that's it so to try to connect with people like it was essential when we found a space that the brewery was going to be visible um 
and yeah, and then the serving tanks is another big thing. So we, we serve directly from serving tanks right behind the bar. And that's another thing that like, it's a visual representation as soon as you walk in of like, oh, this is different. This is not like anywhere I've been before. And it is a brewery rather than just a craft beer bar or whatever. So yeah, I do get, <laughs> we were going to put up a like, don't tap the glass or don't feed the brewer sign. We were working on those. Um, but I don't know. I know, I know everybody that drinks in here anyway, so it's not too bad. <laughs> nice nice and you touched on earlier that uh, people were buying merch when you were closed um, I remember I, I grabbed a hoodie when I was down here yeah. the day before you reopened <laughs> are, are they available online uh, they should be I don't know if they're I tell you what we'll say they are and that'll give me the motivation that by the time you put this out I'll get the web shop fixed um, I mostly it's just it, mostly it's selling here like there's merch and then there's gift cards and all the rest of it like the support was unbelievable the merch is cool like I love it. it's a really bizarre feeling to see the merch in town particularly with people I don't know and I'm just like oh, this is now not just a thing in my head or a thing of me and my friends like this is now a, an actual thing that's out in people's lives and that they're enjoying it enough to kind of support with, with buying some merch um, but yeah I don't know it's not really our business we sell pints like, and the rest of it comes along as well <laughs> It's nice to see, though. Nice to see yeah. people wearing well, it around town. The, the first time I saw it, I was, like, mind-blowing. I remember texting my mom because I was just like, this is not just a thing on paper anymore or whatever, right? This is, like, a real thing. And then you see people talking about how this is a place they love to come, they feel safe, they feel like they can enjoy themselves here and all the rest of it. It's, uh, it's quite moving because that was always your plan. And then to hear it from, you know, your close friends are always going to cool down and drink pints or whatever else. But when you're like, there'll be times where I'll overhear conversations about the place when I'm out and about in Limerick, and just like to hear people really zoning in on the stuff that we want to communicate with them is is very rewarding. Like when they when they talk about how they thought craft beer was this, but actually you go there and it's amazing or whatever. Or they thought this, they thought that, or particularly like they thought it was really bitter, or they thought it was really high alcohol, or they thought it was really expensive, or whatever. So to to be breaking down some of those expectations that's something we wanted to achieve and then the really big one is 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 being a safe space so you'll hear often people talking about how they feel like they can come here and they won't be hassled by people or any of the other problems you might kind of associate with nightlife uh, so to hear people talking about that is like very rewarding because like i said it's no longer just your friends and it means that you're getting across the things you want to right the stuff that's important to you is is coming across to all the way to the, the customer which is another advantage of having the pub rather than a packaging facility because who knows what someone in Galway thinks of a Dublin brewery. Um, you can communicate as much as you can on on the can art or something else, but it's, it's much tougher than when you're actually in here kind of face-to-face dealing with people. I'd like to thank Jono and all the staff at Crew for making me feel so welcome and for providing an amazing space within the Irish beer scene. There's always a great range of beers available, so I'd highly recommend a visit if you get the chance. As we start to wrap up our episode of Beer Destination Limerick, I'd like to thank all three of my guests once again, and I'd like to thank you for listening. It's clear that there's a growing and vibrant independent beer scene in Limerick. I hope this episode has helped to highlight that, and if you don't already live there, I hope it has encouraged you to pay it a visit. The beer community in Ireland is an amazing space full of so many fantastic people. At Crack, we aim to champion independent brewers and everyone else involved in the independent beer scene and support them as best we can. If you'd like to learn more about Crack, you can get involved in the beery discussion at crack-beer-community.ie. It's free to join and always will be. You can also check us out on Twitter, at Crack Community, and on Instagram, at Crack Beer Community. As a final note, if you enjoyed the podcast, then please feel free to rate it 
and also subscribe to stay up to date with all of our new releases. So that's it for now. Thanks again for listening and sláinte.